Welcome back to Second and Short. It is January 13th, 2023, and the NFL playoffs are set. We've got Wild Card Weekend starting up tomorrow as you're hearing this. But before we get into the games, let's talk about today's sponsor, Brooks Running. The new year means a new you, and there's one brand that has all the running essentials, and that's Brooks. From the cushioned ride of the Glycerin 20 to the speedy sensation of the Hyperion Max, Brooks has everything you need to accomplish your New Year's resolutions in style. Visit brooksrunning.com or your local sporting goods store and get suited up for the new year. Brooks, run happy. And Luke, I just wanted to throw this one in there. They've got a Hyperion Max in Steelers colors. <laughs> Dude, I've already been eyeballing them. But but seriously, y'all, to Grayson's point, y'all, y'all's feet will be happy. If y'all don't get anything from this podcast, go get you some Brooks. All right. Thank you, Brooks, for sponsoring today's episode. And let's go ahead and get into the topic rundown. So we're going to be talking the NFL playoff uh, bracket as of right now and primarily just seeding. And then we're going to talk our predictions uh, for every single wildcard weekend game. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Carlos Correa deal that finally got done so that we can stop talking about it from here on out. And then um, there was a MLB.com list that I wanted to talk about that I was extremely mad when I saw. And then we'll talk uh, Premier League weekend preview and then finish it off with Stake Your Claim. So let's just go ahead uh talk about the playoffs, how they're set. Uh, I know me and Brock mm-hmm. talked about this on Wednesday, but I just kind of want to get you know, your opinion, how you feel, who you think you really like um, coming out of the AFC and the NFC. So we'll just run down quickly. So the AFC, you've got Kansas City at one. They've got the first round by. You've got Buffalo two, Cincinnati three, Jacksonville four, Chargers at five, Baltimore at six, and Miami at seven. So who are you got? Who's the teams you're really looking out for or maybe um you know who you think is going to be the representative in the super bowl oh man i i think representative in the super bowl wise i'm gonna go buffalo mr grayson i i think that they look a little bit more unstoppable than kansas city and they just have more weapons um but the team that i'm most interested to watch i i'm actually going to give it to two of them here because i can't decide i'm sure you are too um at least one of these i like jacksonville and baltimore a lot. I think both of these teams could shake up this bracket big time. So, I don't know how I feel about Baltimore because Lamar Jackson's activity is kind of up in the air still. But, I definitely agree with Jacksonville. There's a lot of things to look forward to there. And, personally, I got a ride with one of my first stake your claims um, uh, here we go. from our show. Cincinnati's going to make it. They have to. Oh, I thought you were saying the Chargers. I, I know that we've we've uh Yeah, we've talked, talked to Chargers a little bit. But but this one comes down to like I wanna say the second or third episode of this podcast, I said that the Cincinnati Bengals uh would play uh, a team I'll talk about with the NFC, uh that they would play in the Super Bowl. And, and I'm riding with it. Cincinnati is hot, man. They are hot. And I just think that, you know, we saw the same team last year. We know what they can do. So yeah, I think Cincinnati is gonna be the representative. Anything else you want to talk about with the AFC seeds? Um, not not really. I, I do want to comment on your Cincinnati pick a little bit, though. I, I think the one thing that holds Cincinnati back is their run game. Uh, Joe Mixon has just not been it this year. They need to get him more effective for the playoffs, for sure. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, it, it comes down to when you're playing. And 
when it comes to the regular season when you can allow Burrow to just kind of do his thing. Joe Mixon's not going to get the carries he needs. He was out. He had a concussion. You know, things kind of get thrown off throughout the regular season, especially with the Cincinnati team because there is so many weapons. But I think that with Joe Mixon, you use him in key situations. You don't need to use him for a full game. He doesn't. He isn't that kind of running back. He doesn't need 25 carries. He's a guy that can work with 15 carries. He can do good things with that. And if, yeah, of course, if he's playing well, you feed him the ball a little more, but you don't have to rely on him. And I think that that's what makes Cincinnati so multidimensional as an offense is the fact that they don't have to run the ball, but they can. I, I understand that. Joe Burrow definitely does a good job, you know, carrying the bulk of the offense. He he also distributes the ball um, really well, like as far as spreading it out. He throws to a lot of different guys. It's just – Cincinnati's run game I, I, is really, though, I think the one thing holding them back. I, I agree with what you said. Cincinnati's going to be a good team, but I, you know, they got to get past Kansas City or Buffalo, and even Baltimore could be a tough game. I mean, that's an AFC North game for them. So I, I don't know. I Cincinnati's definitely a good team, but I can't see them making it out. All right. Well, let's talk about the NFC. So number one, Philly. They get the first round by, and then you've got the 49ers at two, Vikings three. Buccaneers 4, Cowboys 5, Giants 6, and Seahawks at 7. Who are the teams that kind of stand out to you? Ah, man. I think think it's got to be San Francisco. There's not really other – well, actually, I'll I'll take it back. San Francisco and Tampa Bay. And I know Tampa Bay is kind of a hot take out there. They're 8-9 and coming into the playoffs. But that Carolina game, uh, it wasn't last week, but the week before last, where they actually played all of their starters – I want to say we'll talk about it later in the uh, the preview, but Tom Brady and Mike Evans finally looked good. And if Tom Brady's hot, you know, a couple weeks before the playoffs, that's not a good sign for anybody. Yeah, he is most definitely a man to be feared at this point in the season. But um, yeah, for me, the ones that stand out are obviously the 49ers. Um, we can't talk about how good they are enough. And then for, I really like the Giants. I think that they're a sneaky team. They don't have the best defense. They don't even really have the best offense, but they're very good at playing up to their opponents, and I think that that's going to be huge in the playoffs. I I literally couldn't agree more. The Giants would have probably been my third pick because they have a head coach that will definitely motivate them to play in the playoffs, and I, I love what you said. There has not been a better team in the NFL at playing up to their competition than New York, and I think it's because of Bryant. Coach Brian. Oh, yeah. All right. So, I do want to talk um, a little bit later about some scenarios with uh, our predictions and how that kind of settles in the bracket because of the reseeding after the wild card. Uh, But we'll get into that once we go through uh, all the games. So, let's just go ahead and get it started. Seahawks versus 49ers, a a division matchup. 49ers are nine and a half point favorites. And I just want to get your initial thoughts here, Luke. I I think out of anybody the 49ers will see in the playoffs, this might be one of their toughest opponents. It's a divisional game. The Seahawks, you know, they just had that viral um, kind of Instagram clip come out where Pete Carroll's, you know, he's on the scooter. They're not worried. They feel like they should be here. And honestly, I, I think they should be here. They, they're definitely, you know, as of late, they were kind of cold, but I want to say they won their last game. 
So that's, you know, perfect for them going into the playoffs. And I, I think they'll definitely be a, a little bit more uh, of an opponent than the 49ers may think they'll be. Yeah, I think that what this game's going to end up coming down to is, um, you know, will Brock Purdy feel the playoff pressure or will he continue to just be a headstrong quarterback that can just kind of get it done? And, you know, that's something that you can't predict. Who knows how Brock Purdy is going to play in the playoffs? But then you look at the Seahawks side, they're in the same position. Though Geno's a veteran, he's making his postseason debut. And what quarterback is going to look the best in this one? I'm not really sure. But, you know, who's going to win is a different question because you never know what's going to happen with quarterbacks in their first playoff appearance. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, quarterbacks kind of take on, I want to say, a more – they take on a higher role once it comes to playoff time. They have to be more of a leader. They have to be more headstrong, and they just simply have to get the the job done. Um a lot of, you know, games will come down to quarterback play. They always have. And for the Seahawks, you know, I, they do possess the offensive weapons to beat this 49ers defense. I really think they do. Will it happen? Personally, I don't think so. But they definitely, they have a chance. They have to get Kenny Walker involved. He didn't practice on Wednesday, which is a pretty big deal going into this game. But we'll, you know, follow it more as it goes on. You have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, both over 1,000 yards receiving this year. That's super impressive. And you got Geno Smith, who's been playing well. Simplify your offense and go out there and beat the 49ers. I mean, you have the weapons to do it. They're a good defense, but they, they possess what they need. Yeah, uh, and I feel like um, to kind of go back to the quarterbacks uh, and how I was talking about it, who do you think is going to be the better quarterback in this matchup? Do you think it's going to be – Gino and he's going to, you know, kind of continue this resurgence he's having or will it be the young up and coming Mr. Relevant Brock Purdy with all those offensive weapons he has? I I think <clears throat> just just off of it being a playoff game, I think I'm going to go Gino just off of the fact that he's older. I mean, this is a huge game for Brock Purdy. Yeah, I I, I think I understand that. I think that what I trust with Brock Purdy more is that he's playing in an offense that honestly, this offense could function with any quarterback. And it just happens that Brock Purdy is very consistent with the opportunities he's given. Because if you give him more opportunities, then you put him in a position where he could mess things up, but we just haven't seen him in that position. So run the ball with McCaffrey do what you can, but also let Brock Purdy do his thing. He doesn't need more than 25 attempts. He doesn't need more than like 30. But if it gets to that point, see what he can do. Because look, this is a young quarterback, of course, but you have the defense to allow yourself to have a mistake or two. Yeah, and, you know, defense comes in, you know, they, they can give good field position. They can, you know, create turnovers and kind of rattle the whole team. I mean, yeah, they have a great defense for Brock Purdy to kind of like chill out in the offense, I think. But yeah, like I, I definitely don't think the Seahawks are going to win this game. But I, I feel like Geno will probably have a little bit of a better game than Brock Purdy, or at least be more instrumental in his offense than Brock Purdy. All right. And I did want to update you real quick. I was just looking at it. Kenneth Walker is active. He practiced today uh, and is officially active. Oh, cool. So that kind of brings me to my next point, and, and that's for Kenneth Walker is watch out. You know this 49ers defense has your number. In the two games against them, 
Kenneth Walker has 16 attempts for 57 yards, no touchdowns. Wow. So with Seattle, they're going to need production from Metcalf and Lockett, but, and I'd normally say that that's something to rely on, but last week they combined seven receptions on 15 targets. So if the ball isn't in their hands and Kenneth Walker's maybe getting shut down, I don't see the Seahawks team putting up much. Yeah, they're going to lose the game. Um, and on the Seahawks side of the ball, we haven't really talked about the Seahawks defense that much, is Tariq Woolen really has a chance to step up here. I could definitely see maybe a Tariq Woolen pick six off of Brock Purdy that just completely rattles that entire offense. And I, I think a play like that could shake up the entire game, but we'll just have to see. Yeah, and I think it's hard to say which team is best suited for a playoff uh, matchup because many of the players that are featured on these teams haven't seen significant playoff runs in their careers. Obviously, the two quarterbacks, but on top of that, there's a lot of good young talent on the 49ers that wasn't quite as active in their past runs. And then for the Seahawks, they haven't been there since 21, and that team is super young as well. I just think that the 49ers defense is the X factor here because there's no stress on any of these guys to go above and beyond what they did throughout the regular season because what they did throughout the regular season was amazing. There's no reason to put the pressure on yourselves for them. This is just a third matchup between these two teams. And I got a feeling the 49ers take it. Me too. And you know, to kind of summarize what Grayson and I just talked about, do not let the seeding of this game fool you. This is going to be a damn good one. All right, so Luke, I want to get a score prediction out of you. What do you think the final score is going to be? <clears throat> Seahawks 49ers. Oh, man. 21-17 Niners. Okay, that's pretty similar to mine. I've got 31-17 Niners. Wow. I just I think that the Niners offense has this it's not just the creative play calling or the the way that they allow the offense to flow through other sources than their quarterback that, you know, I, I think that across the board, the way this offense runs, they're going to put up points regardless of what Seattle brings at them. Yeah. And I, I know we've talked about this game a lot, but one more thing that I wanted to add to your point is that it, it seems with Purdy at the helm is we've gotten to see a lot more Kittle, you know, he kind of, kind of died a little bit uh, this season, but it seems like once Purdy took over, he's back to his regular Pro Bowl, you know, S self. It's very cool to see. Yeah, George Kittle is great for the game. Honestly, tight ends in general are great for the game. Love a good very tight end. So. But Me let's too. talk about Chargers-Jags going down in Duval. Chargers are the two-point favorite, but I like the Jags. All right, Trevor Lawrence has really come into his own this season. But on top of that, Travis Etienne, the other young piece – He's facing the 28th-ranked defense in rushing yards allowed. Etienne ranks fourth among running backs in rushing yards over expected per attempt, and I know that's a deep-cut type of stat, but it's a big one. He's he's getting 1.22 rushing yards over expected per rushing attempt. And on top of that, he ranks sixth in rushing or in rush percentage over expected. So that's the percentage of runs where the ball carrier gained more yards than he was expected. So 
I believe he's around 47% in that one. So 47% of the time, he's getting one to two more yards than he's expected. And that is phenomenal. Yeah, that can be a big deal. Um, He just definitely does not need to play like how he did against Tennessee, though. Um, Didn't get a lot of carries. He had seven attempts for 17 yards. And really, when I was watching that game, Grayson, the whole entire Jags offense just kind of looked a little bit shaky. And I want to say you also brought up Trevor Lawrence as well. Both of them have to get it back going, but I'm taking the Jags as well. I think what happened in that Tennessee game is that they realized that the Titans have, by rushing yards allowed, the best rushing defense or running defense in the league. So obviously that's something to look out for. And I think they game planned that, but um, you know, it's tough to say that this Jags team is going to play great because you've got a young quarterback, young running back, no playoff experience. But I think that they have a, a, a sneaky trio in the or really a sneaky four people in the receiving core that can really make a difference with Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, Marvin Jones Jr., and Evan Ingram. They can really put some damage on this Chargers secondary, which is missing J.C. Jackson and has been for a few weeks. And so it's really just Michael Davis and Asante Samuel Jr. at the corner positions and then Derwin James at safety. They've really got to be on the money or they're going to get cooked. Yeah, um, but shout out Christian Kirk, man. What a season he's had. He's over a thousand yards uh, this year. That's you know pretty damn good. So yeah, the the Jags definitely have the offensive weapons. I just didn't see him against the Titans. They're really gonna have to show up for the entire game against the Chargers because if that Chargers offense is rolling, the Jags are gonna need to keep up. They like you said, they definitely have the weapons to do so. But I don't think we've seen as much production offensively from the Jags as we have seen the Chargers. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that the Chargers, their key is to just keep the offense going. Because, yeah, you like you said, this young Jags team will inevitably slip up and fall short on numerous drives. And they have to capitalize on opportunities to score, and then they'll win the game. And for the Jags, they've got to put pressure on the quarterback. If you let Herbert yes. have time to throw in the pocket, especially when he's throwing deep, you're in for a world of trouble. I got another deep cut stat here. Herbert's passer rating between the hashes plus 20 yards is 129.5. That's 46.5 higher than league average in that zone on the field. And that's the highest in that spot in the league. So if the pressure isn't coming, the second secondary better be prepared. And if the pressure's not coming, if I'm the Chargers, Grayson, I am I am throwing so many deep passes against this Jags team. I feel like the key to the victory for the Chargers is going to be deep passes, like I just said, but early on in the game. Score quick. I I, I need I would probably shoot for at least two touchdowns in the first quarter because I think over time, if you let the Jags defense grind down and let their offense, you know, score more points while you're kind of you know, kicking field goals, not going for it on like fourth and, you know, really close yardage on their side of the field. I feel like you might lose this game if it gets to a late point and the Jags are close. Yeah. And I've got a kind of a bold prediction here for my final score. I think it's going to be 38 35 Chargers in overtime. Wow. That'd be a good game. See, I just kind of hope that happens. I think that the. 
bad run defense of the Chargers with the the solid running game from the Jags, it matches up well for the Jaguars. But this Chargers offense is unbelievable downfield. So there's going to be a bunch of points scored, and the Jags are going to hold a lot of the time of possession. And so in that case, the Chargers won't have time to score. And that's going to be the difference maker here. And um, and that would take it to OT. I just think that the Chargers offense would overpower them in overtime and come out with the win. I got you. I, I like that prediction. I, I'm going to go a little bit more of a, um, you know, a little bit more of a further margin there. I'm going to go 31 Chargers. Jacksonville Jaguars will score 20. All right. Well, let's get into Dolphins-Bills. This one... Would have been a good matchup, but uh, here, I'll lay out the stipulations for you here. The Bills are a 13-point favorite, and there's not much to say. You have Josh Allen, a once-in-a-lifetime talent, cannon of an arm, perennial MVP candidate, a top-three dual-threat quarterback in the league, or Skylar Thompson or, or maybe Teddy Bridgewater. I don't even know who's going to start, and um, yeah, neither of them are going to best a Bills team that has more to play for than a Super Bowl. <laughs> Very true. And also, I just kind of wanted to add to that. Uh, Raheem Mostert's also not expected to play. Um, the Dolphins are going to lose. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be bad. I, I really, yeah, it'll be bad. And it, it's a shame, like you said, that, you know, Tua isn't in this matchup because when Tua actually played the Bills both times uh, in their divisional games this season, and I want to say that both of the games were um, decided by like three or less points. Um, so, yeah, this one's kind of a bummer, you know, with Tua's injury. Um but, yeah, the, the Dolphins are going to get blown away. Yeah, I feel like you can't take for granted what the Bills are playing for. This means much more to them than winning a playoff game against a division opponent. This is for DeMar Hamlin, and DeMar is going to be watching. He's officially out of the hospital and home. That was the news that we received, I believe, yesterday or today. And I think, you know, as we continue to get good news on DeMar Hamlin, it's just going to motivate this Bills team to play even better because they want to get him a ring in this season that has just completely got turned on its head so late. Did you see the story that when Naheem Hines scored his uh, kickoff touchdown um, that he set off alarms in the hospital? Really? Yeah, DeMar Hamlin like jumped out of his hospital bed and was like setting off alarms, freaked that, everybody out. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's that's just so good to hear. I'm glad he's out of the hospital. Yeah. Uh, what else do you have to add to this Bills Dolphins game? I, I wanna add a, another underlying um factor that the Bills are playing for here is the past couple of years, at least in like the Josh Allen era whenever he's actually been good. Um, they're kind of just an AFC championship team that gets owned by the Chiefs. And I, I feel like they also have that looming over their head, or at least they should, you know, for motivation, because that's that's what they have been. They've been a really good team up until the Chiefs plan. And I feel like that's also what the Bills have to play for other than DeMar Hamlin. Yeah, and lucky enough for the Bills, because they're the two seed, they get to avoid the Chiefs until the AFC championship, if that's the, you know, outcome we see. But... Yeah, I just, I think that you can't discount what the Bills play for, who they have on their team. Their team is amazing, especially, you know, offense and defense. They've just got guys, and they produce week in and week out. And, yeah, I just, 
I can't see this one being close. I got the Bills by 20. <laughs> the Bills are just such a goofy team. I mean, I, I was watching them play the Patriots last week because, you know, of my beloved Steelers. That was one of the games that, you know, we needed to watch. And uh, I don't know if uh, you saw it, Grayson, but Devontae Parker scored like a crazy touchdown. Looked like vintage Devontae Parker. And um, it was like a really long touchdown pass. And literally on the next drive, I, I'm sure you at least saw this play, is Josh Allen just threw an absolute bomb. Looked like he didn't even like step into the throw. It's like a 60-yard pass, touchdown pass to Stephon Diggs. Uh, the Bills team, all I can say, their their offense is literally goofy by how many weapons they have, what Josh Allen can do with his arm and his legs. Bills by 40. <laughs> yeah, my, my I don't really have a real final score prediction. I don't either. <laughs> but I, I've got a feeling it's going to be somewhere in the Bills score in the 40s and the Dolphins score in the 20s. Yeah, the only the only way I see the Dolphins having a chance, which they don't, is they still have Tyree Kill, and I think Jalen Waddle's gonna play. I don't know if his injury designation, but they the Dolphins just need big plays really early on in this game. Yeah, if that's uh, how they're gonna win, and that's kind of how both of these offensive they both work that way. They both work off of big plays. I just think that the Bills are a lot better at setting themselves up when they can't get those big plays to happen. Yeah. Bills by 40. All right. Let's talk Giants-Vikings. This is probably my favorite matchup when it comes to just watching two teams play each other because I think these two teams are good at two different things. I said earlier, the Giants are really good at playing up to their opponents and keeping themselves in striking distance. I think that can be attributed to this creative offense they run where – you really don't know what they're going to do. Daniel Jones can throw the deep ball. Daniel Jones can run the ball. He can throw over the middle. He can really do it all. He's not at the top level like Josh Allen, but he's, I'd say, you know, a, a step or two down in each attribute. But then Brian Dable's coaching. You talked about it earlier. He's just a guy that can rally the troops. And when you combine that with some talented players like Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones, You've got a good thing going, and I think that it's really going to be a tough time for this Vikings defense to slow them down. I, I think it could be as well. You know, Minnesota, 13-4, and four, I, I don't really think reflects on how good of a team they are. They, they've given up a lot of trap games, and they've gotten beat by uh, the Packers and the Cowboys by a million points, at, just completely out of the blue games for Minnesota. And this kind of inconsistency is obviously not what you need in the playoffs. You you need to win every game to win the Super Bowl. You can't you can't make mistakes here. And Minnesota's been that team. Yeah, their record's good, but they they make mistakes, Grace. Yeah, like they've got a negative three point differential this season, the Vikings, and they're they're the number three seed in the NFC. That's <laughs> crazy. And, yeah. and obviously, you know that goes to how well they play late in the game, but it also kind of proves that when they play a team that's good, there's a chance that they just fall on their face. And I think that what the Vikings do well is they don't know how to stop scoring. No. Sometimes to a fault. Sometimes it'd probably be better if they just run down the clock a little bit, but Kirk Cousins just has to throw it as far as he can. Justin Jefferson inevitably catches it and they also have a top five running back in the league that they like to let play every now and then. (laughs) 
Yeah, I know. You know, we've been on the Vikings' uh, butts for that one because um, they they just don't use Dalvin Cook as much as they should. But their pass game, you know, suggests sometimes they don't need to. I I, I think the key for the Giants here, and and to your point, I, I agree with you that the Giants are in a real position to win this game. I mean, seriously, they have to get Saquon going though. I think that's going to be you know your biggest your biggest thing. Obviously, you talked about Daniel Jones a lot. I think it's going to be more up to Saquon. Vikings this year it was a three-point game you know kind of same situation as we are in now looked like the Vikings would be poised to you know kind of kill the Giants but from what we've seen from the Vikings is sometimes you know they give up a lot of points so I honestly I I really don't have like a sound prediction for this game I don't either but I want the Giants to win really I do I and I don't know why I think I just like this Giants team. I like Brian Dable. I like Daniel Jones. I like Saquon. Like it's likable players, you know. Kirk Cousins is interesting. A lot of people don't like him. I, I'm, you know, neither here nor there on him. Yeah. I like Justin Jefferson, of course, because he's the most exciting wide receiver in the league. But I just I don't like the defenses on either team. They both kind of suck. And yeah, I think that the Giants are just a better story than the Vikings. I, I agree with that. I, I just, I think I want to see the Vikings win only because of that offense, man. It is so entertaining whenever it plays well. It's fair. Anything else you got to add to this one? Um, We, we can do score predictions still if you wanted to. I'm going to go mm, 24-16 Vikings. Okay. I'm going to go... 28-24 Giants. I like it. Because honestly, like even with my score prediction, I, I'm not even really that sure into it. Because like I said, the, the Giants, I mean, they're they're playing the best team, honestly, I think, for, for them to match up with here. Yeah, it, it's, you know, in their position, yeah. I, I, if I was the Giants, I wouldn't want to play the Eagles. I wouldn't want to play the 49ers. You could maybe say that you'd want to play the Buccaneers until you realize that you're stepping on a field with Tom Brady. But, yeah, I just I think that this is their best opportunity to get a playoff win. I don't think they're like a true Super Bowl contender. I think they're a Vikings contender. Yeah, I like it. All right, let's talk Ravens-Bengals. Obviously, you have deep hatred for both. Bengals <laughs> are favored by eight. And though he is listed as questionable... Lamar didn't practice Thursday. I'm going to assume he's not going to play. We can, you know, argue about that because I think it would be important for him to play. But in turn, with media assuming he's not going to play, the Bengals are going to wipe the floor with the Ravens. <laughs> You're really that sure, huh? Yes. <laughs> oh, man, I like the take. Here, here's the thing, though, Grayson. I, I, I want to say that Huntley didn't play against the Bengals the last time they saw each other. I think he makes a slight difference in this game. I, I think the Ravens are going to keep it a lot closer than you think they will. I, that, the Baltimore defense without Lamar looks awesome. But does it? I, I think it does. Roquan Smith is a game changer, which <laughs> we should we should talk about him getting paid instead of Lamar. I, I, I honestly... If the conspiracies, you know, hold validity to them, that could be one of the reasons why he's not playing in this game is because of that Roquan Smith deal. Yes, that's fair. I, I I don't think Lamar's staying, that's for sure. 
I, I also don't think he's going to play. And I just, I don't know how I feel about it. I, I, I'm pretty sure J.K. Dobbins is still out. So you're leaving it up to Kenyon Drake and Gus Edwards. I don't. Dude, Gus Edwards is actually questionable too. He has a concussion. Okay, so there you go. <clears throat> Even more reason for the Bengals to beat their ass. But I, I just, I don't know. I, I can't root for this Ravens team when they played last week with a third-string quarterback, a backup tight end, no Devin Duvernay. No J.K. Dobbins. It's hard to root for this team when I haven't even seen all of their stars on the field at once. Yeah, the Ravens are honestly really lucky to be 10-7 and seven, in my opinion. They have uh, really had to grind through a lot of missing players and, you know, like you said, best players not being on the field at the same time. But I think the Ravens will keep, keep it close. But Cincinnati, man, like I said earlier, their pass game is – unbelievable in my opinion it, of course it's not putting up the numbers like minnesota but it's it, just the way that it works and just the how joe burrow throws to everybody that he has it, it's um, it's awesome to watch yeah and just a little more to to really just drag the ravens through the mud <laughs> let's look at these point differentials in, in their last couple of wins and talk about what teams they were playing all right they played the falcons in the third to last game, they won 17 to nine against the Falcons with Desmond Ritter. All right, next. There's nothing else to say there. Next, Steelers. They win it 16 to 14. That is way too close of a game. And, and I'm not trying to say anything bad about the Steelers here. I'm simply saying that the Ravens should put up more points than 16 on the Steelers. Fair. Okay. The week before that, the Broncos, one of the worst offenses this season, they won 10-9. to You're telling yep. me that you faced three of uh, probably some of the worst offenses in the league this season, and your margin of your biggest margin of victory was eight points. And don't even get me started on the win before it, because it was a 13-3 win over the Carolina Panthers. <laughs> Look, I, I just I can't possibly believe in this Ravens lineup, especially without Lamar Jackson. <laughs> yeah, and Lamar, he, he's definitely the difference maker for me in this game. I, I think the Ravens are better than what you're giving them credit for. I really do, but they will not win this game. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to. I think it's going to be like, I'm saying... Bengals, 38, Ravens, 10. I'm going to I'm gonna follow the, the Ravens' score pattern uh, for the couple you know weeks that they've had. I'm going to go 14 to 10, Bengals. Really? Yeah. I, I, think, I think the Ravens' defense will definitely stop them a little bit better than what they did last week. They may have not even been playing starters last week, but the, the Ravens' defense is serious. And we've seen what Joe Burrow looks like whenever he turns the ball over against other AFC North teams. <laughs> Steelers. Yeah. Well, you guys don't have that opportunity. So <laughs> let's talk Cowboys, Buccaneers. Cowboys, two and a half point favorites. I think that's absurd. I, I get that they're the higher seed and they have a better record. Well, Dak Prescott sucks and the Cowboys suck. And 
Tom Brady is actually playing well. I, I don't see how you could say the Cowboys are a two and a half point favorite. Yeah, the the Cowboys I definitely think have a better, you know, they're they're a more well rounded team, but like we talked about earlier, Tom Brady's getting hot right at the end in typical Tom Brady fashion. The Cowboys have never beat Tom Brady. And with Dak's turnovers that we have absolutely grilled him on this podcast for, this is now it's the playoffs. And now you're playing teams that will most definitely capitalize on turnovers. And if anyone will capitalize on a turnover more, it, it would be Tom Brady. I mean, whether it's a field goal or a touchdown off of a Cowboys turnover, they're they're going to score if, you know, Dak is turning the ball over. Yeah, Dak, you don't get to play the Texans and the Colts anymore. <laughs> All right, you got to play a real team. And, and there's two things that everybody needs to know about this game. Tom Brady has never lost to the Cowboys in his entire career. I, I believe it's 10 or I think it's 10-0 and 0, uh, against the Cowboys in his career. All right. And also, Dak Prescott just throws unlimited interceptions. <laughs> Literally. There's nothing else to say. Buccaneers 31, Cowboys 17. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to go ooh, 28 to 17, Buccaneers. Yeah, I just threw in a field goal. It's the only reason it was 31. <laughs> yeah, no. Got to get Ryan stuck up in the action. We were, we were pretty close to each other there, but yeah, the the Buccaneers team is not a team that I'd want to see. And, you know, to the point of, you know, Dak turning the ball over, it's not the, – the Buccaneers have so many weapons on defense. They might not be kind of playing that well this year, but you're looking at Devin White, Vita Vea, um, that Ant, uh, Antonio Winfield or Antoine Winfield, he's a crazy player. They just they have so many players that could absolutely ruin Dak's day. And I think it'll happen. I really do. Yeah. I just it's hard to say that Dak is gonna do anything in this game when he's had two games this season where he didn't throw an interception. Like that is ridiculous. Yeah. I, I think the, the key to victory for the Cowboys is going to be Dak not turning the ball over, but he will turn the ball over, so I hope that they use Tony and Zeke a lot in this game all right so let's talk kind of how our predictions would look in the divisional round coming up next week so you had what were your three afc winners so um the chargers and the jags you had the chargers correct yes okay and then you had cincinnati over baltimore yep and then buffalo over miami of course (laughs) okay so you would have Chargers, Chiefs in the divisional round, so uh, another divisional matchup. There is so many divisional matchups in these playoffs, but okay. So Chargers, Chiefs, and Bengals, Bills—the game that was supposed to have already happened is yet to happen, and you know I, I think that that Bengals-Bills matchup will be extremely interesting. I think the Kansas City Chiefs will probably beat the Chargers. But, you know, I don't want to give full predictions until we see what happens this week because you never know. Yeah, but, man, would that – would a Bengals-Bills game be just so – just so awesome to watch them get to actually rematch? Not only is it awesome teams, but – you know, with everything that happened with DeMar Hamlin, it would just be so cool to, you know, for those two teams to finally, you know, finish that game. I feel yeah. like it could bring a lot of closure to the NFL, maybe. 
Yeah, well, I'm I'm sure that the NFL doesn't care. The teams yeah. care, and the fans care. The 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 league office doesn't. But well, I meant like the NFL is like a community. Yes, like fans. Yes, the NFL care. community would care. Yeah, the league just wants as much money as they can, so they love that matchup. Oh yeah, for sure. All right, let's go to the NFC. So the way we've got it, we, I think we both had Tampa. And then, did we both take the Vikings or did I take the Giants? You took the Giants, I took the Vikings. Okay. And then, we both had the Niners. Yep. So, that means that in mine, it would be Philly versus New York, another divisional matchup. And then, Tampa versus San Fran. And then, for you, it would be Philly versus Tampa and... San Fran versus Minnesota. Yep. I mean, it, okay, good so name. for <laughs> for yours, I don't see any way that it's not going to be Philly versus San Fran. You don't think Tom Brady could beat um, Philly, depending on how he looks against Dallas? No, I don't think so. I, well, there's a man that can do it. <laughs> well, I've got one. I've got one number that I want to tell you, and that number is fifteen. All right, and that 15 is how many more sacks Philadelphia has than the rest of the league. No other team. I love how you brought up that stat. 70 sacks. The next team had 55. That's ridiculous. Look, the the, the Eagles are going to get all over Tom Brady, especially with this beat-up offensive line they've been playing with all season. It, it, they're not going to hold back. And that Philly pass rush is going to eat them up. Do you think the Giants have more of a chance to beat Philly than Tampa does? I do because it's a division game. Yeah, that that would be my only thing too. And I mean, to your point, um, you know, with the sacks is Daniel Jones obviously is more mobile. But but see, here's the thing. And, and this is kind of just like Daniel Jones versus the Eagles and then Tom Brady versus the Eagles. Is Do you want the quarterback that would – probably be more calm after being sacked or do you want the quarterback that would probably be terrified but avoiding the sacks I, I think that's kind of the difference there and and as far as uh Brady versus the Eagles and Daniel Jones versus the Eagles yeah I, I think that's a great point in that Daniel Jones would probably take it better I just think that there is there's things that you can't see on a stat sheet with a divisional matchup. You know this the best because the AFC North is just a toss-up in every divisional game. That is true. <laughs> it's that, and, you know, they don't call it the NFC beast for nothing. These guys just slug on each other twice a year for every year that I've known. And I just, I think that it would go to this again. I know that the Eagles beat the piss out of the Giants earlier this season, but... I think that this Giants team has made huge leaps since then. Yeah, um, and, you know, Brian will definitely remind them. If, if if they're the ones going to Philly, he'll he'll remind them about how bad they got beat. And they'll definitely be ready, but Philly having the first seed and, and them potentially, you know, only having home games up until the Super Bowl, well, they will because they're the first seed, but that, that is just such a disadvantage for any team that can place Philadelphia because that place, Lincoln Financial Field, will be rocking for the playoffs. And, yes, the Giants have played there a lot, 
Um, so, you know, they'll kind of be accustomed to it. And this is if they beat Minnesota, but it, it'll be a good game regardless. Yeah, I think it will. And what's going to help Philly a lot is that with this extra week off, you give Jalen Hurts some time to get a little bit better with that shoulder injury. So yes. maybe he can run the ball a little bit more and not be afraid to get tackled. Me and Brock talked about it on uh, Wednesday that every time that Jalen got tackled in that last game, it seemed like everybody on the sideline just looked away, hoping that he didn't get hurt. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then you have Lane Johnson, who has been out the last couple of weeks. He said he's coming back for the playoffs. He's not going to get surgery until the off season. And I believe that Josh Sweat might be back in time with that extra week off. I can't imagine the Eagles playing any better than how they will in the divisional. Yeah, no, the the Eagles are definitely the team to beat. And wouldn't that be so cool if they matched up with San Francisco? That'd be oh, awesome. dude, I'd love it. I, I, I honestly think that that San Francisco – I think San Francisco wins that game, even, even if it's in Philly. I agree. I, I think that, that because of how consistently good their defense is and how it, – it's not just that – you know, they have a good pass rush or they have a good run defense or they have a good secondary. They have all three of those. It's not an yeah. or, it's an and. And <laughs> yeah, this 49ers team, that the defense is so multidimensional on, on where they can make the plays happen that I don't think that there's really any offenses that can truly stop them. No. But if there is one, it would be Philly. Uh, that would just be a dream matchup. Of course, we're not, you know, going too far into that, but wow, would that be cool? <laughs> it would, and hopefully we get to talk about it soon. But yes. let's move on from the NFL because we're going to have plenty of NFL to talk about. Let's talk about this Carlos Correa deal. It's finally done. He finally passed a physical only because he went back to the team that he already passed a physical for. <laughs> So he gets so his years cut in half. He's down to six years instead of the 12 and 10-year deals that he was looking at. The money goes down to $200 million for the six years. And we can finally stop talking about him. And we're not going to have to hear much about him because for the next six years, he's going to be in the most irrelevant ballpark and on the most irrelevant team possible, the Minnesota Twins. <laughs> Carlos Correa, he, he really like just completely took the wind from the sales that was like his um his like block, uh, blockbuster uh free agent signing. I mean like to your point and you know I felt the same way as I literally didn't care after a while where he went because it was just so ridiculous. It was interesting but it was just it was just kind of too much I think. Um but why why are you why so much hate with the Twins? I don't know, I just don't think they're good. They're not built to win in the future, they're not built to win now. This next 6 years I don't think that's going to change. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with that for the most part. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up, I, I hope you didn't see this because it would be so funny to get your reaction. Did you know that Carlos Correa, uh, Correa with all the contracts he accepted this year, he would have signed a 31, 865 million, uh, wait, 31 years, $865 million. That That's how much he signed for this year. That's wild. <laughs> In total, yeah. Well, he didn't sign. He mutually agreed. Yeah, mutually yes. agreed to. <clears throat> yeah, that's ridiculous. I don't think I've ever seen so many issues with a free agency for one player than than this Carlos Correa year, free agent year. 
No, and it was what? What was uh? What what were they finding on the medical report? What was it? It, it was problems with an ankle injury, I believe. Uh, something in his leg. Uh, that dated back to like 2014. That that is just so like bizarre to me that with him being as good as he is, that a team still wouldn't want to sign him. I, well, I think that when it comes down to it, when you see an injury that you know does show red flags, you don't want to sign him to a long term deal. Yeah. That that's completely understandable. If he's asking for 10, 12 years, who knows what's going to happen? Maybe that thing and maybe that injury is still looming and it's going to really slow him down later on and you don't want 350 million dollars tied up in him for the next 12 years. Yeah, I I just I, it, it, the only thing that doesn't make sense to me is why haven't more why haven't we heard about more teams doing that before with long-term deals like being sketchy to go in within them i i don't know this I, is like a first for me i think it's because uh, look everybody gets injured that's just how sports work every athlete gets hurt but if there's an injury like your legs it, he's a shortstop he covers a lot of ground he he's a, a supposed to be you know a relatively fast runner. He hits a lot of extra base hits. If his ankle is slowing him down, he's not covering the shortstop position well enough. So there's a ton of holes in your infield. He's not getting the extra base hits. So you're losing runners in scoring position. He's not legging out an infield single. Whatever your legs are. I'd probably say the second most important thing in baseball because obviously your arms are the most. But yeah, I just it, it, at his position you have to cover ground, and with his kind of status or his you know level of hitting, you got to be able to move. And if your ankle is gonna flare back up, or even a team's gonna be worried about that happening, you don't want thirty five million dollars a year stuck in him, and then five years down the road, he doesn't want to play anymore. Yeah, and to, you know, even further your point, he's actually 28 years old already. So, like, a 12-year deal would make him 40. Um, so, yeah, may- maybe not the best idea if we're, if we're worried about an injury. I mean, of course, you always have the possibility of, you know, him just kind of, you know, not fielding anymore, hitting the weight room, you know, like you told me that a lot of players do is they'll kind of like take the fielding out of their game and try to add longevity to their career by only hitting. I, I don't know. I don't really watch a lot of baseball, so I don't know if he'd really make a good DH, but I mean, who knows? He's a talented hitter for sure. Uh, his hit tool is most definitely the most valuable part of his game already. I just don't think he's willing to be a, def- or a designated hitter because most of the time you take a pay cut. Yeah. And I guess, you know, he is pretty arrogant saying that he's better than Jeter and that Jeter wasn't that good. So I'm sure not being a shortstop would hurt his feelings. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we all know that Jeter didn't want to move from shortstop. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. I got a rant about this top 10 list. It, It, it pissed me off so much when I saw this through my Instagram feed. So MLB.com's writers, or MLB Network, whoever it was, put together their top 10 right fielders right now list. And I'm just going to start from the bottom. All right, I don't know who they've got you know, after this top 10, but Hunter Renfro at 10 is kind of weird. He hasn't 
really proven anything. He's had a couple of good like months in the MLB. He's never put together an amazing season. I don't even think he's been to an all-star game. Whatever. Ten doesn't matter to me. It's more about nine and then another one I'm going to talk about. Number nine, Fernando Tatis Jr. How in the hell are you going to say that he's one of the top right fielders right now? He hasn't played a game since last year not or not last year the year before last and he only played like 10 or 15 games in the outfield and he sucked in the outfield obviously he can still hit the ball he hits for like some of the best exit velocity in the league he also strikes out a ton you can't say that he's a top 10 right fielder when he can't even catch a fly ball I like it. I, I thought that was kind of bizarre, too. I, I honestly, you know, with the baseball ball knowledge I know, I didn't even know that he played outfield. I didn't even know that he got reps out there. He shouldn't. He shouldn't play any position. He should be a DH. He, he makes errors at shortstop. He can't play second base because he throws the ball too fast. He can't play third because Manny Machado's their third baseman. You can't play right field because you can't track a fly ball to save your life. Like... <laughs> There's not a position on a baseball field for how bad Fernando Tatis plays defense right now. And it just, oh, it really angers me that they put him at nine here. But, and I don't mind Teoscar Hernandez at eight. I don't mind Starling Marte at seven. I don't mind Springer at six. What I do mind is that they put Kyle Tucker at four over Ronald Acuna Jr. Ronald Acuna, since he's come up, rookie of the year, he's been perennial you know, kind of like a preseason look for this guy to be on the MVP. And yeah, he's had a couple injury problems. Obviously, the ACL kept him out of the second half of 2021 and the beginning of 2022. And it was still looming. But if you're looking at right now, he's fully recovered from his ACL injury. He was playing very well at the end of the season. It seemed like he was the only guy that could do anything on that lineup once we got to the playoffs and yeah, I get it. Kyle Tucker just won a world series, but he's not Ronald Acuna. He's not a top, he's not a top four finisher in the MVP every year. He's not a guy that is, you know, pushing at record breaking momentum. He's not, you know, the next guy in the MLB. He's not the face of his team, let alone anything in the MLB. How can you put him at four? Yeah, I'm sorry. When I saw that list, I just I had to get out here and, and say it because I've given myself a platform to get <laughs> mad at people on what they say, and I'm finally doing it. You better I'm... watch what you say about number one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like I like it. I like the top three how it is. Honestly, I'd argue for Bryce Harper at two, but we're not getting into that because I'm not going to publicly talk about how much I like Bryce Harper. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <clears throat> All right. Uh, I, unless you have something to say, we can move on. I'm heated. No, no. I, I, I liked your points. That was very entertaining <laughs> to listen to. If, if I can, if I can, you know, moan and groan about the Steelers, then you can moan and groan about baseball. So okay, the trade off. All right. Well, let's get into something that we both just simply enjoy, which is the oh, Premier yes. League. Love it. So we had Fulham versus Chelsea today, and I actually have not looked at the outcome for that one yet. But oh, don't um, even get me started. I'll tell you all about it. Okay, please do. Enlighten me. Fulham two, Chelsea one. Oh my <laughs> and god! I, just, I <laughs> love it. 
Jao Felix on his debut gets sent off in the 58th minute from a boneheaded challenge off of a horrible touch from him. Don't get me wrong. I like the signing um, a lot. I think this signing will kind of go under the radar um, as far as like Chelsea goes because, you know, Jao Felix is coming from a very defensive-minded coach in Diego Simeone. Now he's with Chelsea, who have always kind of been an attacking team, uh, except with Mourinho, obviously. But this Chelsea-Fulham game was just total crap. I mean, Chelsea looked like crap, and Fulham, an informed team, capitalized on that like they should. So that's what happened, Grayson. <laughs> yeah. I did want to ask you about this. I don't understand why you would... Well, first on Atletico Madrid's side, why would you loan out Yao Felix, who's you know a, a young player still? He, he's kind of been around the game for a while, but he's still young and, and truly an emerging talent. Why would you loan him out? Why would you not get his full value? Because I, I feel like his value kind kind of isn't going to go up. He's valued at like I, I want to say over a hundred million right now in the transfer market. Why would you loan him out? I, I think the only reason is it, it was a loan to buy deal. And I, I want to say that the only reason that Atletico Madrid did that, well, it, it's a it's a smart kind of move. And to get this full value out of him, I think what they want is for him to succeed at Chelsea, obviously, because like I brought up earlier, he is going to a more favorable team as far as like, you know, strikers go. I, I feel like his value could go up pretty high if he's able to, you know, do well at Chelsea. So that, that's why I would say, um, but of course it gets way more complicated than that. It's over my head a little bit too. So that, that, that would be my guess. Yeah. And I did kind of like the lineup that Chelsea put out on the field. I, it didn't bother me all that much having the two strikers three at the back and kind of having, um, Kovacic and Zachary play a little bit deeper with Mason Mount more moving attacking, but still staying in the middle. I, I don't like playing um or sorry <clears throat> I, I don't like Azpilicueta out on the uh, like right mid that's a, a weird decision to me but uh, it was an interesting lineup it just didn't work yeah um I, I don't I honestly don't know I the only really comment that I have left is uh Zacharia what a player he has been for Chelsea that that's actually one of the more solid things that you know have been going on with this team is it, he's actually been a decent um uh what would you say signing for this team so yeah he's good yeah and I, I do like you guys's lineup when you have the three at the back because that three of Koulibaly Tiago Silva and Trevo Calaba is very good that is a, a great back three I, I just feel like with a team that all season can't score goals. Why are you putting so much effort into the offense when it's still not working? You need uh, yeah. to defend. If you're not going to shut a team out, you're probably not going to win. Yeah. And that that's been, you know, kind of a reoccurring theme for, you know, Chelsea. And I, I just wanted to bring up, um, you know, while we're on the topic of Chelsea is Chelsea have spent 416 Point eight million dollars on players this year. We are tenth in the Premier League. <laughs> it's that's a horrible stat, and I, I forget. There, there's another stat within that one, but I forget what it was. I want to say more than half of that um, uh, 416 million actually went into defenders. Uh, yeah, the whole team's bad. <laughs> that, that's all I can say. Yeah, and honestly, like 
if Pierre Emmerich Aubameyang is on this team by the end of the winter transfer window, you guys lost. Yeah, no, we did. It's he's been so bad. He's old. He's uh, you can't say he's slow because he's fast. He's not as fast as he used to be. So that threat is gone. And yeah, there's no life in the offense for Chelsea outside of Kai Havertz. No, uh, I was literally banging my head against the wall once I found out that we've even brought a bummying to Chelsea. Yeah, he he's still playing and getting reps at Barcelona, or at least he was at the time, but he's not going to come back and do well in the Premier League. I hated that signing. I completely hated that signing. The only time Aubameyang was exciting is when he played at Dortmund. Ever since then, it's been just a downhill slope, and with Chelsea, he's just completely crashed. And I knew he would. Yeah, I'm, I don't understand a lot of the moves they've made. But let's talk um, Saturday. We've got two pretty good matchups uh, that I wanted to talk about. Obviously, there's a couple others, but they're not as significant. So, of course... The big one, uh, the Manchester Derby, Man United versus Man City. Two teams uh, that are truly uh, in great form right now. Man U hasn't lost a game since the Premier League restarted after the World Cup, including um, Carabao Cup, FA Cup matches, and Premier League. They haven't lost. So that that is impressive for how Man U's playing right now. And then for Manchester City, they're Manchester City. Of course they're going to play well. Yeah. Um, wow. What a match it was last time these two teams played. Six to three, Holland and Foden getting a hat trick, and then Manchester United still scored three times. I mean, what a game this is going to be. And it's going to be a little bit more interesting this time. Uh, that's going to be my prediction. I, I really don't have a score prediction for this one. But Manchester United, I, I think they're in slightly better form than City is right now. They're definitely in better form than what they uh, than what they were in the last time that these two teams played each other. But Manchester United, I think they have a serious chance against Manchester City. I think they do. And I think that it comes down to how well the attacking um, side of Man United's lineup has been playing. Look, it, it's not really a ton of guys that, that jump off the paper for you, but they, they've got talent especially with the playmakers in the midfield being Bruno Fernandes and Christian Eriksen, they create a lot of chances. And I think that's what keeps Man United winning. Yeah. And Manchester City, I mean, you could say the same thing about them. I mean, they have, you know, Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, and Phil Foden um, in their midfield, which is just, it's just such an entertaining, you know, midfield versus midfield lineup. And, you know, those players are going to be the key to the game. Yeah, and I like Phil Foden even more now that I heard one of his nicknames. I heard it. I was watching like some TikTok or something about Man City, and they called Phil Foden the Stockport Iniesta. I think oh, that wow. is a, <laughs> such a great nickname for Phil like Foden. And yeah, so I love him even more. I think he's going to be the X factor in this game solely because I heard that cool nickname. <laughs> oh man, I like it. Um. Manchester City, you know, earlier going back to what I said about them having a little bit, you know, less of good form as compared to United, at least right now. I did want to bring up this is that City just came off of a 4 nothing win against Chelsea in the FA Cup. Here are some of the people that didn't play for Manchester City as they completely dismantled my team. There was no Holland, Ederson, De Bruyne, John Stones, Nathan Ake, and Jao Cancelo. 
So depth, everybody. <laughs> Have depth if you're uh, an English team, especially because, you know, the Cups are coming. You know, there are a lot of games back-to-back, which, you know, they rested all of those players for this game. And that's, you know, that really kind of goes into their favor there. Uh, Holland could score many times against Manchester United. I mean, he's fresh. He's already scored a hat-trick against him. Yeah, I, I got a feeling that Erling Holland is going to be like the boogie monster for Manchester United for years to come. Yeah, he'll definitely be their biggest one in their side for many, many years. <laughs> All right, I want to talk Brighton versus Liverpool because, you know, when you see that Brighton's playing, you don't think that they're really going to do much. But I actually like this matchup. Brighton is playing pretty well. They've got uh, an interesting side that they score goals, and though the defense isn't great, it's pretty good. The way they stack up next to each other, Brighton has scored 32 goals, and they've given up 25. Liverpool has scored 34 and given up 22. So obviously Liverpool has the edge there in goal differential, but I think Brighton's a surprising team that could definitely keep it close, maybe get a draw, maybe luckily get a win over Liverpool? I'm going to take the torch from you and go even further. Brighton will, without a doubt, win this game. Uh, Liverpool look awful right now. Probably the worst I've seen them since Klopp took over. They're coming off of a horrible loss to Brentford, which uh, we've already, you know, talked about that before. What was it, Grayson? First time since, like, the 30s? Yeah, 1938. Yeah, an unbelievable loss for Liverpool. And just all around, not even that game, they've looked really bad recently, and Brighton looked really good. Yeah, it, it, like Liverpool drew Wolves in the FA Cup. Like, yeah. that is bad, dude. Wolves sucks. <laughs> yes, they do. And if Brighton, you know, this is still a good chance for Brighton to prove themselves because at the end of the day, it is still Liverpool. They have big names. They have a good coach. They're a good team, but if Brighton really wants to stamp, um, you know, their mark on this season, beat Liverpool at Anfield. <coughs> Actually, it's not at Anfield, correction. It's at Amex Stadium, so it's even played in Brighton. So, yeah, I mean, just what a mark they could leave on the whole league if they beat Liverpool here. Yeah, I, I do think that they've got a chance. I think it's going to end up being like a 2-2 a, a draw. I'm going to go 3-1 Brighton. All right. Actually... Uh, yeah, 3-1 Brighton. 3-1. All right. Let's talk a couple of the matchups on Sunday. So we'll start off with Chelsea versus Crystal Palace because I just want to hear you know, uh, what you have huh. to say with what's been going on with Chelsea. Obviously, we just heard what you had to say. But um, how do you think they're going to match up against a, a struggling side themselves with Crystal Palace? I'm going to pass on this question. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I just hate talking about Chelsea these days. I, I think Chelsea are going to lose. I really do. Of course, you know, Jao Felix won't get to play because <laughs> he's, you know, red carded now, or at least it is a Premier League game, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I didn't know. The one that was played today was a Premier League game. Chelsea yes. Fulham. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, Jao Felix won't be there. So it'll probably be the same Chelsea lineup that's been losing. And Crystal Palace, of course, you know, like you said, they've not been as hot, but I think Chelsea have been way way worse <laughs> so i think crystal palace will take it it'll be a close game though yeah and that's also a pretty quick turnaround when it comes to like um like league games like you 
just played on Thursday. You have to run it back on Sunday. That that's a rather quick turnaround when it comes to like it wasn't even like an FA Cup game. Like you wouldn't sit your starters in that situation. So, I, yeah, I got a feeling it's not going to look good. I'm going to say nil nil draw. I mean, that's a pretty nice prediction too, honestly. Like Chelsea goal differential of one, Crystal Palace goal differential of negative eight. It's just it stinks, man. No, but but I will say it's a good opportunity for Chelsea to, you know, get back in the win column, get them, you know, some good momentum going. All right, well, let's talk about one of my favorite rivalries, the North London Derby, Tottenham versus Arsenal. It's at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Two teams that I think are playing very well. I I definitely think this is probably them two matching up at the best they've been playing over the past couple of years. That's a really good point. Um, This is a really good North London uh, derby this year. Um, Or at least I'll say this time coming around. I mean, like you said, both of these teams are, you know, pretty, pretty darn good right now. And they, I I can't really remember the last time that a North London derby was played in kind of like a title, you know, like altering situation. And this is a big one. Yeah. I, I do really think this is a pretty insane matchup for them. Uh, Hotspurs are fifth right now on the table. They're on some interesting form. Uh, they won their last game, a loss, draw, win, loss in the last five. It's a little shaky. But then Arsenal, they're coming off of a draw that not a lot of people saw coming against Newcastle. So I I, I think it's tough. Arsenal had a, a, has a tough stretch, and, and it's going to continue but getting a win here is very big for holding their position at one because if Man City gets the win and Arsenal has an off day, Man City is only going to be two points back. Yeah. Um, Grayson, give me the mic for a second. Give me the mic. Okay. I lo- spit, young man. Spit. <laughs> I love what Mikel Arteta has done with Arsenal. Because, look, it, I, I don't know if you've seen Grayson, but there are a, there is a lot of footage that goes uh, viral on TikTok of Mikel Arteta giving locker room team talks. And I saw this one where he, like, compared, like, a light bulb to, like, you know, the whole team has to be connected for the light bulb to work. And just the way that all of the, the young players he has just watch him and listen to him. He has them completely. And if there is any um, kind of coach that's, you know, going to prepare your team to go into a, a rival stadium, play your, you know, bitter rivals, it's Mikel Arteta, who's played for Arsenal. He's played against Tottenham. He knows what this means to the fans. He knows what it means to the players and the team as a whole. Arsenal will not lose this game. Yeah, I agree. I think that Arsenal is going to get the win. Um, yeah, Tottenham's great. <clears throat> and they've got goal scoring on their side, 100%. But I just think that, like you said, Arsenal playing as a team plays better than Tottenham does as a team. <clears throat> and one thing to say about Mikel Arteta, and, and something I've noticed just kind of over the years uh, of kind of observing soccer from uh, a, a little far away, but still paying attention, is that... When it comes to the best managers, they're all former midfielders. And it's because they're not selfish players. They know what has to happen on the attacking side. They know what needs to happen in the defense. And they understand how integral it is to share the ball around the field and and continue. Like, look, you've got guys. Pep Guardiola was a defensive mid. Mikel Arteta, center mid. 
Frank Lampard was a, a, a solid manager. He, he needed more time at Chelsea. I'll say that. He should not have gotten fired as early as he got fired. Yeah. And then you've got Iniesta, uh, Xavi. They've actually both been managers at some points. Xavi's a, a solid manager as well. And yeah, I just think it comes down to their knowledge of the game. Uh, a central mid, they see everything that goes on on the field. Their eye is always on where the ball is and what's happening and what their next move is, and that's what makes them such great managers. And I think that that's what makes Mikel Arteta one of the top managers right now in Europe. A a million percent. You could not have said that better. And you can see that in the stats within Arsenal themselves. Look, they don't necessarily have a runaway assist leader or a goal leader, and that's you know because of that unselfishness that is instilled in them by a former midfielder who is, I mean, a brainiac. I think Mikel Arteta is one of the smartest managers in the entire world right now. Yeah, and if you're looking at their leaderboards, two of their top scorers are midfielders, though Bakayo Saka is a little bit more of an attacker. Martin Odegaard and Bakayo Saka are second and third. Uh, well, Martin Odegaard's tied for first. but And then leading assists, Bukayo Saka, Martin Odegaard in the top two. Look, yeah, and, and they're not run away from each other either. No, and that is the biggest piece of this Arsenal squad, and it's what led them to the point they're at right now is the midfield. Their midfield is outstanding, and especially with how young it is, it can sustain as long as they keep creating chances and they get some solid play from the defense, and that's exactly what they've done throughout the season, and they'll have to continue doing it for success. And, and they're they're not even like standout star players either, which kind of attributes to what you know we just kind of got away from. Mikel Arteta, it, it, he doesn't need a star player to succeed. All they need to do is be connected and work together, which is why what they've done all year. It's why they're first place, and it's why they'll beat Tottenham. <clears throat> yeah, uh, I, I don't think there's any more to say. I think we've stroked Arsenal enough, but. <laughs> shout out Ar- sh- hang on shout out Tottenham though shout out Tottenham even yeah. Perisic on Tottenham he actually is kind of underrated in my opinion he's been able to go to multiple leagues and no matter his age as he as he's gotten older he's still like really effective anywhere that he goes it's kind of impressive yeah I, I think that Tottenham's problem right now is the defense look they can score goals undoubtedly they- they've got 37 goals for puts them at third in the league but on the goals against side, they're at 25 goals against where the teams all ahead of them, the highest is 20 goals against, and that's Man U. And then Newcastle's only got 11. Manchester City's got 16. Arsenal's got 14. That's going to be Tottenham's problem here is that Arsenal creates chances and Tottenham's not very good at stopping them. Yeah. Um, Tottenham does not have a defense. They're, they're a very top heavy, you know, kind of one dimensional team. And that, I will say more so in the NFL, you know, you have one-dimensional offenses in the NFL. Sometimes they can do well, but, you know, they normally don't. In uh, soccer, though, one-dimensional teams can still play well. They can still be high on the leaderboard, but they'll never be top three, and that's kind of what Tottenham are. They definitely have a top two, I would go as far as to say, um, lineup as far as their forwards go, but their, their forwards cannot cover the mistakes that their defense makes. And I think with how good Tottenham are doing this year – it attributes to how like good their forwards really are and how bad their defense is. The, the forwards carry the whole team. Yeah, 
The forwards and a couple of standout midfielders. Rodrigo yeah. Bentancur is very good. Obviously, you already talked about Ivan Perisic, who's had a great uh, addition to this team. Ryan Sessegnon is, is solid. He's, you know, 14 appearances, two goals. Uh, Hoiberg, also uh, a solid defensive midfielder. And then, yeah, the forwards, Huangmanson, Harry Kane, uh, even Richarlison, who kind of comes on as a sub more. They're all world-class. I don't think I'd say Richarlison's world-class, but Harry Kane and Huangman Son are world-class players, and that's the only thing that's keeping Tottenham at the top. It's actually kind of insane to me that they play on the same team. A lot of people talk about that. That's kind of loaded. (laughs) It is, but let's talk about Newcastle and Fulham. Fulham is in fantastic form, but so is Newcastle. Though they were coming off of two draws, one draw against Leeds, that one's a little bit tough, but the draw against Arsenal is outstanding, and the thing that's even more outstanding is that Newcastle has only conceded 11 goals this season. That's 11 goals in 18 games. Yeah, and they have goal-scoring threats on top of that, too. And they, they have a very good team this year. Yeah, like, like Nick Pope has 10 clean sheets. And, of course, you can most definitely... That's contributed to by his defenders. Fabian Schar has been fantastic. Kieran Trippier. And then, you know, the list goes on. Uh, Dan Byrne has been a, a solid uh, defender for them as well. But yeah, like you said, they've got the attacking and the playmaking ability on top of it. Miguel Almiron, who we have just raved about, you know, as Atlanta United fans, we love the guy. 18 appearances, 9 goals, and an assist. And then... You've got Joe Willock. You've got Sean, Sean Longstaff, who's been playing a ton of matches and just continues to make the lineup, continues to make his contributions be known. And, look, the midfield creates the chances, and the guys up top finish him. Joe Ellington, he's playing okay, not great. Callum Wilson is having a, a little bit of a resurgence with this new squad. Alan St. Maximin is, you know, uh, he's been in and out of the lineup a little bit. But he's playing well. Chris Woods played 17 matches. Like, there's guys on this team that can score. There's guys on the team that can create chances. And with a solid defense like theirs, it's very hard to beat them. Yeah, um, but they're coming up against a you know really good Fulham team. Just just ask the Chelsea fan. Fulham's decent this year. Um, they've won their last five Premier League games in a row um, as well too. And they have. Mitrovic, who I actually just realized didn't even start against Chelsea today. Mitrovic has been. As far as like matches, um, goal like kind of like matches played to like how many goals they've scored, Mitrovic is pretty good. He's got you know he's played fifteen games. He scored eleven times. He could be a big factor in this Newcastle game. One hundred percent. Anything else you've got for that match? Um, two two. Two two. Okay, I'm gonna go uh, Newcastle one nil. I like it. All right. This brings us to stake your claim to round it all out. And I'm going to just go ahead and give mine. Uh, I'm still hot about this list that I was talking about. So this one's just going to ride off the back. Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to win the MVP next season. And he's going to have the 40-40. We've talked about it his whole career. He's going to be an MVP. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. He's going to have a 40 home run, 40 stolen base season. He hasn't yet. And I think this is the year. Would he be the first ever? No, no. Uh, I believe he would be 
sixth, I want to say, for a 40-40. An elite list. He's a young guy, too. He could honestly, I, I could see Ronald Acuna doing it multiple times. Yeah, he's got that kind of skill. Look, yeah. we did, we haven't seen him at his full base running potential in the last couple of years because of the ACL injury, but in that 2021 season, he was off to a hot start, and I think that 2023 will be no exception. We just need him to stay healthy. Uh, yeah, and I'll even admit, you know, as a non-Braves fan who's lived in Georgia his whole life, Ronald Acuna is just simply not talked about enough, and I don't think people understand how good this guy is. I I definitely, in, in the future, you know, 40-40, definitely could see that happening. I think he'll be also the highest-paid baseball player of all time in his career. Not if he stays with the Braves. You know how stingy we are with our contracts, but... <laughs> that is um, true, that is true. Look, right now we've we've got him locked up fine, and I'll, I'll gladly be okay with what we've got for right now. Um, but we can splash on him later. That's fine. But for now, he's not getting paid a lot, and I'd love to see a lot of production out of him still. So, I, I, yeah, I just there's nothing that's gonna tell me he can't do this. Everybody talks about how he can. It's just injuries or, you know, another player on the team leading the way like Freddie Freeman did in 2020 that kind of overshadows Ronald Acuna. Yeah, but, you know, with Freddie gone, Acuna and Acuna healthy, he's definitely the new guy. Um, and ju- just what a player. I love Ronald Acuna. <laughs> yeah, he, he's the face of Braves baseball now. Because it was it was Freddie Freeman for a long probably since Chipper retired. It's been Freddie Freeman. And then last season and, and you know, for the last couple of seasons, because Dansby was a local guy, uh, at least in Georgia, he was kind of the face of the Braves. And I just it's Ronald Acuna's time. Look. To me, Ronald Acuna has been the face of the Braves since he won the rookie of the year. And it's now much more evident. There's kids walking around every day in Ronald Acuna jerseys. When you ask a kid who their favorite Braves player is, it's always Ronald Acuna. Like, he is the guy in Atlanta. And it just so happens that the Braves are one of the top teams in the MLB. And I want to even say that some stores in Georgia, like, carry yellow um, Ronald Acuna, like, uh, what would you call it, padding? Like, elbow shield yeah, like shin guard. Yeah, I want to say they even sell like his colorway. Yeah, it, it's extremely popular. I know uh, his Franklin uh, batting glove deal. Those those yellow batting gloves, they fly off the shelves, especially down here. Just about you know half the kids in a rec league are wearing those batting gloves, and, and it's because Ronald Acuna's face is on the package. Do you think he's on his way to seriously being like the greatest Brave of all time? I don't think anybody could possibly take that away from Hank Aaron in my eyes. Wow. Because, look, that's that's my guy. I wore 44 uh, pretty much about the entire time I played baseball. I've got a Hank Aaron baseball card right above me. Like, he is my guy. And I think that, you know, he's the he's the clean home run leader. He's the total bases leader of all time. He's up there and hits. I, I want to say he's got RBIs as well. Look, Hammer and Hank is the guy in Braves history. Look, I like Chipper, but it, it's Hank for me. Okay, okay. Let me let me uh, let me get into my take now. And this one, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it. Baltimore have a real chance to be in the Super Bowl this year. 
if Lamar plays. And of course, they're already not expecting him to play. Um, that happened while we were recording. But I, I think that the defense has stepped up um, and played that well. And I think the Ravens' offense with Lamar would be hard for any team to stop. I could see it being a 49ers-Baltimore Super Bowl. But that obviously all rides on Lamar. Yeah, I just – with the with how doubtful he is, even if he did play, I don't think he'd be at 100%. And I just yeah. don't think that's going to go their way. Because a guy like Lamar Jackson, you need him at 100% because he's going to want to run the ball. He's going to want to move around a lot, and that means he's inevitably going to get tackled. And yeah, and – Honestly, in my opinion, he isn't very protected well in the past game. That offensive line is completely geared to run the ball. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, who knows, though? I mean, I'm starting to think at this point because, like, when it, I feel like when his injury happened, Grayson, I, I didn't think it was really that serious. I mean, on the podcast, I really thought he was going to come back and play against Pittsburgh. But, you know, now we're – multiple weeks away from that, and he's still out. I mean, it kind of makes you wonder what's really going on. And I know we've mentioned it on the podcast, but the 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 more that he, you know, doesn't play, and we're also not really hearing anything from him. Like, you'd think there'd be a quote somewhere that's like, I, yeah, I'm doing everything I can to play against Cincinnati. But, like, there really isn't anything, which is – if I'm a Ravens fan, I'm terrified. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It, it seems like a consensus idea across uh, a majority of the Ravens fan base that he's gone. Yeah. And, yeah, the, the thing that is going on that's not the injury is his contract that's not there and never going to be. So, look, it, it's just not going to work. Uh, Lamar's leaving. They're going to have to accept it. And it's rebuild time in Baltimore. Yeah, um, because Baltimore does not run a balanced enough offense to even – like I, I'm, I would be worried if I was Baltimore because you know we've talked about it on the podcast before. Is that that offense is so one dimensional? It would take years of rebuilding to even make it back to like a you know decent team in the NFL. Of course, they still have weapons on defense and a little bit on offense as well. But if they lose Lamar, I mean we've seen what that offense does without him. They will struggle <laughs> next season if they don't have Lamar. Yeah, and I'm just going to add a little take on top of yours. When Lamar inevitably leaves in the offseason, it's going to put a lot of pressure on the guys that are still there. And if they don't do something immediate, I think next season Mark Andrews will be gone before the trade deadline. Yeah, and that would uh, that would hurt them even more. He's an awesome player. Yeah, look, tight ends don't want to sit around with no with no quarterback. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. Not not a yeah. guy like Mark Andrews. The guy's, uh, uh, I guess you'd probably say top five tight end in the league. It's it's not a position you want to be in as a tight end because look, it's a tough position, man. You got to catch the ball, you got to block, and if you don't do it perfectly, you get ridiculed. And it's it's hard for a tight end to be successful when you don't have a, a consistent quarterback. So I think Mark Andrews might be gone if Lamar leaves and they don't do something quick. Yeah. And I would say this season, Mark Andrews and Travis Kelsey are my top two, obviously with, you know, Kelsey being first, but you know, with Kyle Pitts, not only being hurt, but you know, not really being involved in all when he, at all, when he was healthy. Uh, plus you have Kittle who's just now finally starting to emerge. Mark Andrews is a top two tight end, but yeah, Baltimore, I, 
I think that their defense is that good, kind of going back to my take, that if they had Lamar, they would make it to the Super Bowl. I really do. But if they don't have Lamar, it'll be a tough game against Cincinnati. Yeah, I, I just – I don't think he's going to – I think that whether he's healthy or not, which we know nothing about. Look, they're saying he's not practicing. Who knows if that's because of the injury? Maybe he's yeah. just like, look, I don't want to play here anymore, and I'm hurt. You can't tell me otherwise. Where do you think Lamar would sign? I, I pray it's the NFC. I don't even care where he goes. <laughs> just Dude. pray it's out of the conference. I don't even know because I don't know who wants to throw that kind of money around when you're going to have to completely rebuild your offense. I, I would say Denver, but, you know, they are handcuffed to Russell Wilson, and yeah. I, I think it's hilarious. <laughs> and those are some strong cuffs, and they threw the keys away too. Yeah, I mean, swallowed them, threw them away. Yeah, the keys are gone. <laughs> Man, I don't know because you also need somewhere that's built for a fast-paced offense, so you got to have a defense with some stamina. It, yeah. It's – it's tough to find a landing spot for him. I, I don't think I could really say until we see the offseason and maybe we see what teams are interested. Could you imagine Lamar on uh, on Denver this year? Oh, dude, it would have been awesome, especially with a healthy Javante Williams. Yeah, and to your point, that's a defense that has more than enough stamina. That, that was one of the best defenses in the league for a while. Yeah, I... I I, I do think that that would have been a good landing spot, but like you said, yeah, they're 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 stuck with the uh, dangerous Mister Unlimited. <laughs> Let him cook. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right, Luke. Do you have anything else for the people? Uh, uh, you know, whenever I would do this part, I would say Steelers in seven, but no Steelers in seven this week. They're out, so nothing to say. <laughs> they'll they'll get them next year. I, I, they have a bright future, but yeah, no Steelers in seven. It's all right. You guys get another, you know, halfway, uh, a halfway in the first round draft pick. You'll be okay. Yeah, I'm excited about the Claypool draft pick too. That's gonna be. I, I might we draft well, so I'm excited. Yeah, that is one thing that the Steelers do extremely well is the draft. But before we leave, y'all, I just want to say thank you again to Brooks for sponsoring today's episode. Make sure you visit brooksrunning.com or your local sporting goods store to get suited up for the new year. Thank you again, Brooks. All right, Luke. I think that'll do it for us. Let's get out of here. Go get your Brooks, y'all. All right. Peace.